Romans chapter 12, just two verses will be our text for today, verses 1 and 2. Let's read together, shall we? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, Lord, open our hearts, I pray, to hear and receive your word that the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray blessing upon them. And I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. Draw them to a place of repentance. I pray especially, Lord, for sons and daughters who have walked away from the faith. Don't let one of them be lost, O oh Lord. I pray that the heart of the Father will be moved with compassion for these children that are, have been given to us. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you will draw them back to repentance. Pray these things in the only name that matters, the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. When the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the church at Rome, he spent the first 11 chapters laying out the doctrine of the gospel of God. In those chapters, he explained how the whole world was guilty before God and how humanity could be reconciled to God through Jesus. He explained in those chapters that the righteousness that is from God is first of all the righteousness that God himself possesses and manifests in all his actions. Second, it is the righteousness that God then gives to humanity by grace through faith. This involves an imputed righteous standing before God called justification. It also involves an imparted righteous practice and a progressively transformed lifestyle that is due to the indwelling Holy Spirit known as regeneration and sanctification. At the end of this doctrinal proclamation, Paul is overwhelmed by the magnitude of the Lord's marvelous work and the depth of his glory, and so he breaks into an outburst of adoration in verses 33 through 36 of chapter 11, and he writes a doxology of praise to celebrate the majesty of God's redemptive work. That now brings us to our text in chapter 12. And it is here that the theology begins to have practical application. In this passage, Paul says, in light of all that God has done for you, here's how you ought to respond. It is here that he explains that your relationship with God isn't compartmentalized into sacred and secular. 
At the same time, worship isn't accidental or uninformed. It isn't some ritual to be performed. It isn't some tradition to be mindlessly observed. When Paul talks about this lifestyle kind of worship, he reaches back into ancient times when worship was instituted in the Old Testament and says that the kind of worship that has transformational ability is sacrificial worship. Paul begins by giving the reason for sacrificial worship. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. The reason for sacrificial worship is the mercies of God. That word mercy here is plural, and it refers to God's multitude of mercies. That's what it's talking about in 2 Corinthians 1 and 3 when it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. This is what the prophet proclaimed in Lamentation chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, see, most people get this idea of mercy all wrong. They think they have to meet certain criteria or expectations in order to get God's mercy. The reality is that God gives a multitude of mercies apart from anything you do. See, God, I I told you earlier that God in his very essence of nature and being is good. So God can, it's not that God does good things, it's that he is good so everything that flows out of him is good. Well, the same thing is true about God's mercy. God is merciful. That is part of who he is. It's his It's in his divine DNA. It's his makeup. So God can be nothing other than merciful. And so with God, mercy isn't this one and done kind of proposition. See, God isn't merciful just once, but again and 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 again. He is consistently and constantly full of mercy. He has consistently and constantly demonstrated his mercy toward you, even when you weren't aware of it. Now, I want you to put on your imagination caps for just a moment, would you please? Well, I want you to imagine that you are in a theater with a giant IMAX screen. You have a jumbo tub of buttered popcorn in your lap and a large soft drink in the cup holder. And it's one of those nice theaters with the seats that recline back, okay? And on the screen, in high definition, is playing scene after scene of God's mercy that has been extended to you. Think for a moment now about the images that would flash across that screen. See, even before you were part of the household of faith, the mercy of God was extended to you. It was his mercy that called to you and marked you for salvation. When you tried to run from did anybody try to run from God? That's what I thought. When you tried to run from him, it was his mercy that kept coming after you. There were times you should have gotten into major trouble 
but his mercy spared you. There were things that happened to you that you just chalked up to good fortune or to a twist of fate or, or to the results of your own ingenuity. You didn't recognize it at the time. It was the mercy of God. See, it was the mercy of God that sent Jesus to this earth as Savior. It was the mercy of God that brought you to a place where you could hear the good news of the gospel. It was the mercy of God that gave you the faith to believe and to surrender your life to Jesus. It was the mercy of God that gave you the assurance of sins forgiven and the hope of eternal life in his presence. And since you've been a believer, it's the mercy of God that has kept you. It's the mercy of God that has sustained you. It's the mercy of God that has protected you. Every time you've stumbled and failed, it's the mercy of God that has reached down and picked you up every time you've wandered off the path and gone the wrong direction it's the mercy of God that turned you around and put your feet back on the upward way I want to tell you today you have a roof over your head and clothes on your body and shoes on your feet and food on your table because of the mercy of God you have warm blood flowing in your veins because of the mercy of God you woke up this morning in your right mind because of the mercy of of God. You have joy in your soul because of the mercy of God. You have peace in your heart because of the mercy of God. You have help for today and you have hope for tomorrow because of the mercy of God. And long after you've eaten that last kernel of popcorn in the tub and you've taken the last sip of soft drink out of that cup, the mercies of God will still be scrolling across the screen. His manifold mercies are from everlasting to everlasting to all generations go ahead is anybody thankful for his mercy today <laughs> pastor mark batterson says that the prerequisite to mercy or to worship is mercy and the prerequisite to mercy is doing something wrong so if you've done something wrong, you qualify for mercy. And if you qualify for mercy, you qualify for worship. And I love this statement that he makes. He says, don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. That's one of those quotes I wish I'd have said, you know. The Apostle Paul would say in our text, in light of the manifold mercies of God, the only logical, reasonable response to those mercies is sacrificial worship. He began by stating the reason for sacrificial worship. Now he continues by giving the requirement of sacrificial worship. He says... Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, those two words, living, sacrifice, compose in English what is known as an oxymoron. An oxymoron is a combination of two seemingly contradictory or incongruous words. Living sacrifice. 
See, sacrifices in the Old Testament were dead animals. But here, Paul takes the idea of sacrifice and transforms it into something that is living and active. The worship that is to be offered to the Lord retains the essential elements of Old Old Testament sacrificial worship, but it is changed from dead ritual to living expression. Understanding something about the characteristics of the Old Testament sacrifices will give you a picture of what it means to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. See, Paul's talking to you today. Why don't you just look at somebody beside you or near you and just tell them, he's talking to you. Yeah, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. First of all, he says, this, we, we understand about the sacrifice. The sacrifice was costly. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, the sacrifice was always the finest, the best you had to give. No blind sheep, no lame cattle were acceptable. Now, you've heard me make this statement multiple times in the 22 plus years that I've been here as your pastor, but I'm going to say it again because... We just need to keep hearing it over and over again. God never asks for what you do not have. But he always asks for what you'd like to keep. The sacrifice is always going to cost you something. He won't ask you for what you don't have. You know, I've been in, I've been in services back in old church. You know how they used to do the offerings when they were trying to raise it? You know, uh, we, got, we got 10 people here who are going to give $500. You know, I need you to stand up, you know. And so I'm, I'm, I'm back there stewing. Oh, Lord, am I supposed to be the one to give $500? I'd have to borrow $300 in order to do it. I don't, you know, how am I going to get it? You know, if you don't have $500, that's not you. Don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. God doesn't ask you for what you don't have. But he will always ask for what you'd like to keep. Because it's those things that we want to keep that we hang on to. Those things, if we're not careful, those things become our idols and become our gods that we start worshiping. I'd really like to go down that trail for a while, but that's not the sermon for today. So I'm just going to stop right there. Not only was it, when it was costly, not only was it the finest, but the sacrifice was always brought in worship first. Remember, it was to be the firstborn of the flock and the firstborn of the cattle. Before you could eat any of the crop, you brought the first fruits in harvest, in worship as as thanksgiving and as a reminder that God was first in your life. That's why we talk about the tithe, the 10% being given to God first. It's a reminder to put God first in everything. Now, I've, I've discovered a lot of people are okay with the idea of worship as long as it doesn't cost them anything. And what you need to understand is if it doesn't cost, it isn't a sacrifice. The Message Bible captures this concept so well. Here's what it says of verse 1. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. 
I want to tell you, there's no such thing as a partial sacrifice or a partial commitment. It's, it's impossible to be sort of committed. The problem with a large number of those who claim to be followers of Jesus is that most of them are willing to make a contribution to the cause of Christ, but very, very few are willing to give their total commitment. I'm going to tell you, let's just bring it down here. It, right here in our church, here at Restoration Church, we have all kinds of people. We have church members. We have seat fillers. We have hymn singers. We have sermon tasters. We have Bible readers. We have simple believers. But we have very few who are walking, talking, breathing, living sacrifices. Your whole life is to be lived to the praise of his glory, but too many have a hard time committing even a small portion of their time to connect with fellow believers at the house of God. You see, what happens is you see spending time with friends as a necessity. You see pursuing recreational activities as a necessity. You see advancing in your career as a necessity. You see hauling your kids all over God's creation to participate in team sports as a necessity. But when it comes to your walk with Jesus, and especially your church attendance, too many treat it like going to the movies or some weekend event so it doesn't have the commitment of giving the best all the time. Oh, you have every intention of doing it, unless, of course, something else important comes up. We got real quiet in this. I wasn't expecting many amens right there. I know that commitment, listen, listen, please, I know that commitment to God and commitment to church is deeper than just attendance on Sunday. I, I know that. And I know that the recent events of being locked down from the virus have had an effect and caused many to get out of the habit of regular attendance. But I think the now deceased pastor Adrian Rogers was onto something when he said, if your faith can't get you to church on Sunday, I doubt if it will get you into heaven. Look, if you got a problem with that, you talk to Pastor Rogers, but, but, but he's dead, so you're, you're going to have trouble with that. Let me ask you, how are you going to convince somebody that your church and your faith is important to you and that you'd like them to come be a part of this fellowship if when they show up at your invitation, you're not here to welcome them and sit with them and introduce them to the life of what God is doing in this place? See, the cost of a living sacrifice isn't just in time that you spend in church on Sunday. It's in the choices you make in the places you hang out and the people you hang out with. It's in the decisions you make and the influences you allow to speak into your life. It's in the way you spend your time and your money and your energy. It's in living by one overriding question. Lord, what will you have me to do? The acceptable sacrifice to God is costly. And then the verse says it's also consecrated. Paul says to present your body a living and holy sacrifice. Most people hear that word holy and immediately think sinless, but that isn't what it means. Holy, in its most elementary definition, simply means set apart. 
It means consecrated for a specific purpose. And holy means, it, 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 in its essential meaning, is whole and complete. Present your body a living and holy, set apart and complete sacrifice. See, remember Jesus said you are in the world, but you're not of the world. You're set apart from the world. You have different priorities, different allegiances, different motivations. You are set apart for righteous purposes, and that means you can't give yourself to anything else. See, you can't give yourself to things of the Spirit on Sunday and give yourself to the things of the flesh the rest of the week. Too many people are trying to make this false distinction between the material part and the spiritual part. See, you're happy to give God your heart as long as your eyes and your hands and your feet and your tongue are allowed to do what they please. But it can't work that way when you are a living sacrifice because you're holy, you're consecrated, you're set apart. You don't belong to yourself any longer. You belong to the Lord. So you're not like the world around you. You have a different way of living. The world is greedy, but you're generous. When the world is dishonest, you're a person of integrity. When the world is filled with hate, you're expressing love. When the world is living to please itself, you're living to please God. When the world is immoral, you're committed to purity. When the world is negative, you're positive. When the world is fearful, you're confident. When the world is violent, you're peaceful. When the world is chaotic, you're calm. When the world is pessimistic, you're hopeful. When the world is aimless, you're anchored. True worship is more than giving up a couple of hours on Sunday morning to give lip service to a creed. True worship is offering up your own body as a living sacrifice in consecration. The work of your hands, the thoughts of your mind, the intentions of your heart, all of it is set apart to be lived unto the Lord. God isn't getting the leftovers. He's getting the best. An acceptable sacrifice is costly, it's consecrated. Then I want you to see that it is constrained. See, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it has a tendency to crawl off the altar when the fire under it gets hot. <laughs> some of you just had some strange... Images cross through your mind. I can, I can see. When a sacrifice was placed on the altar in worship, I don't know if you remember this, but in the Old Testament, there were two flesh hooks that would bind that sacrifice to the altar to keep it from sliding off. See, there are people who will listen to a message like this one, and you'll say amen all the way through. But after Sunday dinner, you'll have forgotten all about it, and you'll go back to living like, just like you lived before you heard the message. And the reason is because you haven't allowed yourself to be bound to the altar of sacrifice. There are two flesh hooks, and they're called devotion and discipline. Those are the two things that will keep you on the altar of sacrifice. The thing that's missing from lives that are unrestrained is devotion and discipline. You come to church and say, Lord, bless me. Lord, help me. Lord, inform me. Lord, supply my need. But you don't want to be bound down. 
You don't make commitments because you don't want to be bound down. You don't get involved because you don't want to be bound down. It may require something of you. You want the message to inspire and encourage, but when the truth that is proclaimed creates an inconvenience or a challenge to your lifestyle, then you go through all kinds of contortions trying to find a loophole because you don't want to be bound to the requirements of righteousness. You're trying to judge the truth of the word by your experience rather than judging your experience by the word. You're feeling and emotion driven rather than spirit and truth driven. Now, I'm not fussing at you. I'm not mad at you. I'm just telling you the way it is. We've got too many people trying to say, well, you know, I feel this way. And then they go to the Word of God, and the Word of God says something a little bit different. Say, well, you know, I feel like this, so, so God probably wasn't really talking about that. He was probably saying something else. No, no, no. You don't judge the Word by your feelings and by your emotions. You judge your feelings and emotions by the Word of God. Let, uh, let God be true and every man a liar. It is the word of God that is eternal. It is the word of God that is not passing away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. God has exalted, according to the Psalms, God has exalted his word above his name. So if my feelings don't match up with the word, if my emotions don't match up with the word, instead of trying to twist the word or contort the word around somewhere, I need to bring myself back into alignment with what God has said in his word. A living sacrifice is constrained. It's bound to the altar by devotion and discipline. I, I'll tell you something. i got to hurry on. I'll tell you something else about the acceptable sacrifice. When this costly, consecrated Constraint, sacrifice is constrained on that altar, then it is consumed. And this is the essence of worship. Worship is putting yourself on the altar and letting God consume you. Being a living sacrifice unto God means that you aren't serving you, you're serving Him. L listen, listen. God is less concerned with how this service time on Sunday morning goes and more concerned with how your service of worship goes outside these walls. This is the worship that Paul says is your spiritual service of worship. Monday through Saturday, engage the service of worship. What does that mean? Well, pick up the towel, look for needs, serve in secret, give without anyone knowing what you're doing. God isn't looking for you to just lie there on the altar as a dead sacrifice, but rather he's looking for you to live out your life selflessly for him as a living sacrifice through the service of worship. This passage talks about the reason for sacrificial worship. It's a response to the mercies of God. It talks about the requirements of sacrificial worship, presenting your body a living sacrifice. I, have, I hasten to tell you one more thing, the results of sacrificial worship. It's in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The first result of sacrificial worship will be transformation. Be transformed. Second will be revelation, the renewal of your mind. 
Transformation and revelation is the result of sacrificial worship. When you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, there's going to be a change in you. You won't be conformed. That is, you won't take on the outward appearance of this world. J.B. Phillips says it like this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. The Message Bible says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. That's what's going on right now in our world. There is so much, we are getting so many messages. One, right? We are bombarded with messages over and over and over from every angle, from every source, trying to get us to conform our thinking and then our behavior because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We, be, we conform our behavior to what we're thinking and they're trying to change our thinking. And that's why it's so important that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Instead of all of that, you're going to be transformed. It's the word from which we get our word metamorphosis. Meta meaning change, morphous meaning form. It's a change of form. When you present yourself upon that altar as a living sacrifice, then you're transformed. You're not conformed, squeezed into the mold of this world. You don't look, act, or sound like the unrighteous people of this world, but you're transformed. You know, in biology, you learn about metamorphosis. You take this caterpillar, crawls up into a, into a cocoon, goes through a metamorphosis, comes out a beautiful monarch butterfly. Now, the inner nature of that caterpillar is that of a butterfly. And through the process of metamorphosis, the inner nature comes to the surface. This is the same word that was used of Jesus when he was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. Here's what that means. Had you seen Jesus just walking down the street, you wouldn't have recognized anything unusual about him. You would have just walked right past him. Remember, Judas had to point him out so they could arrest him in the garden. Just kind of ordinary guy. The Bible says when we see him, there's no stately form or comeliness that we should desire him. Don't let the people who paint pictures of Jesus fool you. They're just using their imagination. He didn't have light glowing from within. Neither did he have this dinner plate of a halo behind his head. You've seen the pictures, haven't you? you know. He looked like an ordinary person. And if you saw him, you wouldn't have picked him out of the crowd. But on that Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible says he began to glow like the sun and his garments became white as snow and there was a radiance about him. Now, watch this. The inner nature of Jesus was deity. And on that mount, he was transformed, and the inner nature came to the surface. I want to tell you, it's the same way when you are a follower of Jesus, your inner nature is Jesus. And what the devil is trying to do every day, every moment of your life, is stuff Jesus in. He doesn't want Jesus to come out. So he's trying to conform you so you won't be transformed, so your inner nature won't come to the surface. The inner nature of a follower of Jesus is Jesus. And when you present yourself a living sacrifice, then you are transformed and the inner nature of Jesus comes to the surface and people see Jesus in you. Now, when there comes that transformation, then there comes the revelation by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or that you may know what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Renewing the mind involves changing the way you think. Renewing the mind involves changing what you put into your mind. 
Studies say that if you're an average American, you'll spend 1,000 hours this year watching television. Over a 65-year period, that means you will spend 15 years of that 65-year period watching the tube. By contrast, if you go to church every Sunday of your life for 65 years, you'll spend a total of eight months receiving spiritual training. Eight months compared to 15 years. And you wonder why you have such a hard time living with a spiritual mindset. Just going to let that sit for a moment. One important thing about renewing your mind, the original language indicates it's not a one-time renewal, but it's an ongoing renewal. It's something you have to do every day. From the moment you're born, through the years you spend growing up, during all the time spent in school, all the time spent in the workforce, everywhere you turn, this world is singing its siren song of indoctrination. It's pushing you, it's pulling you, it's squeezing you, it's molding you, it's fashioning you into a person that embraces the values and the profiles and the priorities of a fallen world alienated from God. But when you surrender your life to Jesus and in faith you turn from your own ways and the ways of this world to embrace the Jesus way, at that moment the Bible says, old things pass away all things become new then as you actively surrender your life as a living sacrifice day by day and you renew your mind through inputting the truth of God's word your life stops conforming to the natural and becomes transformed into the supernatural and you stop living by feelings and you stop living by habit and you stop living by external pressure and you stop living by fear but you start living by faith and you start living by hope and you start living by love and you start living by joy and you start living by peace and you start living by confidence and you start living by strength. Your life becomes acceptable to God. Your life has meaning and purpose. Your life has wholeness and completeness. Your life puts the glory of God's mercy in Jesus Christ on display. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. I'm past my time stand. I got to quit. I've got more, but I got to go. Help me, Jesus. Bow with me, please. Lord. Touch our lives today. Help us to grasp the possibilities of the transformed life through sacrificial worship. Help us today. We need you, Lord Jesus. We need you. Holy Spirit, revolutionize our lives. Transform us by the entrance of your word through the power of your spirit so that our lives will be lived to the praise of your glory. We will never be the same. I pray in Jesus' name. 
Pastor Larry, I'm going to change the song that I ask you to do. But we can do this. I want to do, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving. I time and make this your prayer would you today Lord prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy tried and Thank you. 